Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, Kate, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, and this is part two, finding the resources you need to manage the cost of living with myeloproliferative neoplasms. And this is part two of a series called Living with Myeloproliferative Neoplasms, and it's actually there's a three-part series, so there'll be another program after this one. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, including the MPN Education Foundation and the MPN Research Foundation. And we really thank all of them for their collaboration in, uh, in today's program and in helping to reach out to all of you on the call today. We have on the call today over 398 participants, so there's a lot of you on the call. And you come from all over the United States, from all different parts of the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, Taiwan, Tunisia, and the United Kingdom. So a global call, really, from all over the world. Today's program and this entire series was made possible by the Insight Corporation. I really want to thank them for their support, not only of today's program, but of this entire series, and for their support consistently of our programs on the MPN on NMP and understanding more about myeloproliferative neoplasms. Now, you received some information from Cancer Care, and in that information there is an evaluation form. I'm going to ask all of you to take a moment at the end of the program today and complete that form. Uh, you are in a very terrific position to tell us what you'd like us to offer. We are planning a lot of programs for 2015, and we very much value your feedback. Uh, you actually uh, help us to pick the topics that will most help you because you, you all know best what you need, actually, and, and if you tell us, we'll be sure to try to offer it. Indeed, the MPN series um, that we're offering, a number of the programs that we're doing on myeloproliferative neoplasms has really been spurred by many of you requesting that we do more and more of this, uh, these programs for you. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Ruben Messa. And Dr. Messa is consultant hematologist, Mayo Clinic in Arizona, chair, division of hematology and medical oncology, deputy director, Mayo Clinic Cancer Center, professor of medicine. And Dr. Messa is going to provide an overview of MPN, and he will also discuss quality of life concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Messa. Well, Carolyn, thank you very much for the invitation. This is a wonderful series, and hope as folks are listening to this at home that they find this helpful. Now, the focus on today's uh, session is really a bit more around the, the burden and the cost of having an MPN, and perhaps my time is short, I'll really focus around really what is the burden as people are afflicted, and then we could talk about what that burden translates into, not only in terms of financial burden, but in other burdens that individuals can experience. So the myeloproliferative neoplasms, at least today, we're really focusing on three main diseases, essential thrombocythemia, polycythemia vera, and myelofibrosis, whether it be primary or whether it have evolved from ET or P. vera. As we look at the burden of having a disease like this, first let's discuss a little bit of the clinical burden. And the clinical burden isn't necessarily as simple as knowing which of those three categories one falls into. So first, these are diseases, all three, that can give individuals risks of having a blood clot or a bleeding event. P. vera and ET perhaps are more common in 
causing such vascular events, uh, but they certainly can occur in myelofibrosis. We know in terms of managing these diseases, frequently we will try to control either the red blood cell count, the platelet count, or even the white blood cell count to try to decrease that risk. Next, there can be a burden of the blood counts being too low. Uh, ironic in that there can be a burden of the counts being too high. On the low end, patients can develop anemia, particularly in the setting of myelofibrosis, but there are times that patients can have a drop in their counts with ET or P-Vera, either from medication-related side effects or even if the disease itself is progressing. Next is the issue of the spleen. The spleen is a filter for the blood. It's an organ that filters the blood, and it's under the rib cage on the left side. Uh, it is an organ that can be enlarged in any of the three MPNs, although enlargement certainly is more common in patients who have myelofibrosis, uh, but it can be enlarged in ET or P-Vera. It can lead to difficulties in terms of discomfort. Uh, it can lead sometimes to sharp pain, and that can be a little different. Uh, it can be uh, something that uh, can interfere with sleep, uh, lower the blood counts, or have other negatives. Next is a group of diseases that can give symptoms, from individuals having no symptoms to having many, with fatigue being incredibly common, but other difficulties in terms of itching, night sweats, weight loss, uh, or issues related to high counts, such as difficulties with concentration or other. There are diseases in which we monitor and we treat them around concerns about the potential for these diseases to progress. That is something that we track over time. And over time, we are learning that it's very important as we come up with a treatment plan that we are very mindful of your overall health, including your age as well as other medical problems. So these are diseases that can affect us in these various ways. And as we use treatments, which can range from aspirin or blood thinners, which can range from medicines that can lower blood counts, such as hydrea or interferon, or even JAK2 inhibitors, such as ruxolitinib or others, that can impact spleen and symptoms in myelofibrosis, uh, or improve things in P-Vera, or even bone marrow transplant, we have to weave into a consideration of how the disease is affecting you on all of these different levels. I'd say in terms of burden, I would add to the burden of this really two other types of burden. The first is the burden of having a uncommon chronic disease. So this is a disease that many of you are on this call because of really insufficient information out there and trying to learn more about your disease so you best know how to frame it and battle against it. There is a stress factor in terms of having a disease that people around you don't necessarily understand well. It's a disease that's not on the view or on the Today Show, so most people don't really know how to relate to a different degree. Second, there is a certain hassle of medical care. Later in this call, there will be discussions around the financial burden, you know, what is a cost for a medication or for your health care plan or for hospitalization, but there's another burden that really is the hassle, the hassle of monitoring a disease, the hassle of medical care, the hassle of going in if one needs transfusions, all of these difficulties. And finally, the burden of not being 100% sure what the future holds. You know, what's my life going to be like in two years or four years or 10 years? So all of these are different burdens on, uh, on you in terms of the disease. 
We hope that informational sessions like this that Carolyn or group helps put together help to at least lift some of this burden uh, off of your shoulders uh, as well as the sense of community that, that it creates. So uh, a very exciting program, and I'll be around later as we get into more detailed uh, questions uh, that are directed from, from you who are listening today. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Massa, for an exceptional overview and uh, information about um, the treatment of MPN um, and its burden and just really setting the whole context of this, this program. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Serdan Vistovzek. And Dr. Vistovzek is Chief Section for MPN, Myeloproliferative Neoplasms, Leukemia Department, Clinical Research Center for MPN, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Vistovzek is going to address the costs of care, both direct and indirect costs, and talking with your healthcare team about your financial concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Vistovzek. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me a pleasure to participate um, along with my uh, friend and colleague, Ruben Mesh, and everybody else on this important call. Direct and uh, indirect costs uh, related to the chronic diseases, myeloproliferative neoplasms that we call them, can be uh, substantial. There are obvious direct costs related to the uh, medical treatments, uh, related to uh, um, visits to the doctor's office that needs to many times be uh, paid to some degree. Uh, hospital stays either for transfusions or delivery of the medications, which are costly, not just through the insurances, but also through the direct copay from the patients itself. Or there might be a cost related to the care at home if the patient acquires rehabilitation or physical therapy or occupational therapy. These are uh, uh, obvious uh, costs that uh, may uh, add up a substantial financial burden to a patient. Laboratories that are uh, frequently done in chronic diseases like this uh, is another potential cost, uh, direct cost to medical care. Medications. There is a lot of uh, discussion in the, in the medical field among the uh, providers uh, about the copays and overall cost of medications that patients with chronic diseases have to pay to improve their quality of life and continue to live well for a longer period of time. These are not only copies for um, approved medications. There are medications that many uh, patients with MPN are told to buy over-the-counter, antihistamines, different creams, different sleeping medications. This can add up a lot to direct cost of care. Uh, indirect costs uh, are unmeasurable. People need to get off work uh, to get to see a doctor. Uh, they need to have a help with the child care. Uh, they need to have a, a support to uh, get to see a doctor frequently. So travel expenses, food expenses, direct and indirect costs uh, can be substantial and are uh, building up in uh, expenses as people live their life with the chronic diseases that are MPNs. Now, what can we do about it and how we can help is what we're going to discuss today because we in medical field don't treat a disease. We treat a person that lives with myeloproliferative neoplasm for the rest of their lives many times. So the doctor, uh, a physician in the office that sees a patient is just, in my view, uh, a representative, a front uh, person 
for a team, uh, a healthcare team, that comprises uh, him or her, then oncology nurse, oncology social worker, case manager, financial counselor. There is a whole team that many times stands behind the uh, frontman that interacts with the, uh, with the physician that can provide a guidelines, direct uh, the person in uh, searching for uh, financial help to address the issues that uh, are beyond just the imminent need of treating the disease itself. It's the whole person that lives lives with the disease, and we are here to help uh, the patient, the person, and their loved ones uh, that uh, are in this uh, uh, long-term uh, battle together. So there are a number of uh, potential uh, uh, sources for help from drug assistance programs, and we're going to talk about the details a little more uh, later on in this program. Patient assistance programs that's available. There are funds, chronic disease funds that can help uh, patients offset some of these costs. Nonprofit organizations that uh, give grants to the patients based on patient needs. There are also, uh, if the patient is, for example, participating in a clinical study uh, for malopolyphotin neoplasm, there are studies that uh, really support extensive uh, uh, needs for patients, uh, not just uh, the uh, medication that is always provided for free, but can pay for travel expenses and other expenses associated with patients' participation. I have patients that come to uh, see us here in Houston through uh, help of angel flights, for example. There is a, a whole array, as you see, uh, of different programs that are accessible and available, and perhaps not imminently uh, visible or known to a patient, but they are uh, at the disposal to us as a healthcare team to provide to a patient an open communication is the mandatory part uh, between the, uh, the uh, patient uh, family and the healthcare team to fulfill uh, the task of helping fully patient, not just medically, but financially, socially, and in other ways. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pistovac. That really, um, I think, for all of those listening on this call, it puts the context of the really um, the goals of the healthcare team in working directly with each person on the call and helping them um, to um, to get through this whole experience and to use all the resources of each institution and medical practice to their to their help them. So thank you so much and. Um, our next speaker is uh, is Deborah Wolf, and Ms. Wolf is an attorney. She's supervising attorney, Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group. And Ms. Wolf is going to address um, understanding the benefits and limitations of your health coverage, including the Affordable Care Act, the appeals process. And I'm now going to turn this program over to Ms. Wolf. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And I'm so pleased to be a part of this teleconference with Cancer Care. There have been a lot of positive changes in health coverage over the past year, and I'll be discussing how best to understand both the benefits and limitations of your health coverage, insurance appeals, and I'll include information on the Affordable Care Act as we go along. In discussing health coverage as well as appeals, it's important to know that there are different types of insurance plans, and these include group policies from employment, union benefits, and privately purchased policies, as well as policies now available through the Affordable Care Act marketplace. I'll also briefly discuss Medicaid and Medicare. 
The insurance laws of your state may also require certain minimum benefits from your insurance company, so your rights could vary depending on where you live. This will be very general advice relating to everybody, but it's also important to understand the laws of the state you live in. As a start, and the most important advice I can give is to have and read a copy of your policy or a summary description of your policy. I know Dr. Mesa talked about hassles and burdens, and certainly reading through your insurance policy can be a bit of a burden, but it's so important because this will outline your benefits, any coverage limits, and the appeals process, which we will discuss in a bit. Your insurance company can also be a very good resource to call if you have questions about what is or is not covered. Now, I'm sure everybody's heard of some of the good changes with the Affordable Care Act, and I want to review a few that have impacted benefits for everyone. Starting this year, insurers must sell and renew health insurance regardless of health status. This is called guaranteed issue, and a person can't be denied insurance or charged a higher premium based on their health. Also, insurers can no longer refuse coverage due to pre-existing conditions, and the Affordable Care Act also requires that insurance policies purchased through the marketplace and certain other policies as well have coverage for clinical trials. Another important change that has already made a big impact for many of the people I work with is the requirement that insurance companies can no longer limit the amount they will pay for medical costs over the year or the person's lifetime. There are no monetary caps on coverage. This means that an insurance company can no longer say, once we spend a certain amount of money, you are no longer covered. A health insurance marketplace now operates in every state or on the federal government website, which is www.healthcare.gov. In the marketplace, you can compare different plan benefits, see if you're entitled to subsidies to lower the cost of your premium, and determine if you may also be eligible for free coverage under Medicaid. All of these plans must now cover essential health benefits, a list which includes outpatient and emergency services, prescription drug coverage, hospitalization, mental health, preventive care, and more. But even with the changes with the Affordable Care Act, policies can still limit certain coverages. This might include the number of physical therapy visits per year or access to home nursing. Any limits or exclusions must be set forth in the policy or the summary description. That's why it's so important to read and understand your benefits. If your policy requires pre-authorization, and most do for major medical procedures and radiology, such as PET scans and MRIs, make sure you check to make sure the procedure is approved. If you have an HMO, and the policies purchased through the marketplace are all HMOs, you have to make sure your doctors are in network, and if you're having surgery, you want to make sure that the doctors involved are all in your insurance network. You also need to understand your financial responsibility for deductibles or any copayments. 
the marketplace plans all require some consumer contribution at different levels, depending on the plan you choose. So take advantage of the resources that are available to guide you to the best choice for you and to make sure your chosen doctors are members of the plan you ultimately choose. Moving to Medicare and Medicaid, these are both government-sponsored health insurance and both have been approved, improved with the Affordable Care Act. Medicare is a federal program with rules that are uniform to all participants in all 50 states. Medicare is available to most people age 65 or older who are citizens or permanent residents, and if under age 65, a person who's been receiving Social Security disability benefits for a period of 24 months. Medicare is not available to others with some very limited exceptions. Now, Medicare coverage consists of a number of parts. Part A, which provides hospital coverage, Part B, medical insurance, which requires a monthly premium. Part D, the prescription drug insurance plans, which are provided through private insurance companies that have contracts with the government. There's also Part C, which allows private health insurance companies, such as HMOs, to provide Medicare benefits. These Medicare private health plans are sometimes known as Medicare Advantage plans. Now, similar to private insurance, with Medicare, you will get more preventive services for less, as well as a free yearly wellness visit. The Affordable Care Act improves Medicare drug coverage, and these improvements include reducing expenses for those in the donut hole or the prescription drug coverage gap and a gradual elimination of the donut hole gap by year 2020. During this gradual elimination, Medicare recipients will receive additional savings each year on their prescription drugs until the donut hole is closed. This includes the reduction of copayments for name brand and generic brands, which will decrease by a certain percentage annually. Now, many people purchase additional Medicare gap policies to supplement their Medicare coverage, and I do want to point out that these policies are exempt from the Affordable Care Act requirements, and some may even have pre-existing condition exclusions. So again, even in purchasing a Medicare gap policy, it's important to read through the policy and ask questions to make sure you understand all of the benefits. Moving now to Medicaid. Medicaid insurance is a federal-state partnership with shared authority and financing. Certain eligibility rules are established mainly by each state and vary depending on where you live, so it's important to know your state Medicaid requirements and regulations. Access is based on being low income with a limit on how much you can have in income, assets, and resources. For those who are disabled or elderly with higher income, one can often become eligible for Medicaid through special programs. Now, with the Affordable Care Act, in about half the states, Medicaid has been expanded to increase coverage to more lower-income people, including groups such as childless couples that have not always had access to coverage. And as I mentioned earlier, one application through the marketplace will determine eligibility for Medicaid or a plan through the marketplace with a subsidy. Medicaid recipients are also entitled to the same benchmark benefit package that meets the minimal essential health benefits. 
that will be available in the new health insurance ex exchanges. The goal is to enhance the quality of care for all Americans, regardless of whether they have private insurance, Medicare, or Medicaid. Now, even with these new protections, claims are sometimes denied. Your insurance company is required to provide an explanation of benefit, called an EOB, for each claim reviewed. The EOB outlines the amount paid, your required contribution, which can be your copay or percentage, and if they're not paying, the reasons for the denial. It's important to read every explanation of benefit. Again, a bit of a hassle, but you have to make sure your claim has been paid, and if not, the reasons for the denial. Now, if a claim is denied, your first step should be to call the insurance company right away to discuss. There are many reasons a claim may be denied, and often the insurance company just needs more documentation from your doctor's office to determine medical necessity and then approve. Claims are also sometimes denied for administrative reasons that may be easy to fix. For example, the claim has the wrong code. Make sure to keep track of every call or letter, writing down the date and who you spoke to. If the matter can't be resolved by speaking with the insurance company, you have the right to file an appeal directly to your insurance company. In your written appeal, document the reasons you disagree with the insurance company, and always include medical records and a letter from your treating doctor. In many cases, um, a treating doctor's office will submit um, an appeal on behalf of their patient, but I always ask the treating doctor to review the denial letter and respond in writing. With the Affordable Care Act, your insurance company must conduct a full and fair review of its decision and may be required to expedite if the case is urgent. If your insurance company denies the appeal, you then have the right to request an external review, which gives you the right to file an appeal to an outside, objective, and independent panel, no matter where you live and what type of health insurance you have. This means that independent medical professionals make the decision and your insurance company no longer gets final say over many benefit decisions. Another important Affordable Care Act protection is expanded consumer assistance. This requires that states designate an Office of Health Insurance Consumer Assistance that will respond to inquiries and complaints by consumers and help file complaints and appeals. This can be a very useful resource when you're looking for coverage as well as you have a problem. And this information can also be found on the healthcare.gov website. Also check you know, to see if you have a state office that will assist with filing appeals. Many states have a state insurance department or other divisions that will assist people that have insurance issues and file complaints or appeals on their behalf. Finally, it's very important to make sure you understand your time limits to file an appeal as these are very strict deadlines and they vary. Deadlines must be set forth both in the policy and your explanation of benefits. The good news is that around half of all denied claims that are appealed finally allow coverage, and that percentage for external reviews is even higher. If you have adequate medical support for your claim, you stand a good chance of having your claim paid. With Medicaid or Medicare, you're also entitled to an appeal and external review if your claim is denied, and you must be given notice about how to appeal. 
To summarize, it's important to read your healthcare policy so that you understand your coverage, what's required of you, how to appeal, and very important, any deadlines that are imposed. Appeal deadlines are strict, so make sure to read your explanation of benefit and respond on time. I know it's difficult to keep on top of insurance matters with so much else going on, but with an understanding of what your rights and responsibilities are, as well as help from the Affordable Care Act Consumer Assistance Program, you should be able to navigate any insurance issues or questions that come up. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Wolf, Deborah, actually, for this very excellent and reassuring presentation to everyone and providing resource information. and. And actually, I think that it's really important that everyone understand that these programs are on replay as podcasts or telephone replay and that you can listen to them whenever you want to. And I think that some of these guidelines are very helpful to you. And, um, and, and I think that um, working with your healthcare team, um, um, working with uh, pro bono law firms like NILAC, they're wonderful ways of you're getting um, the assistance you need to, to get all the care that you're entitled to. So, and it's covered. So that's, that's really most important. Thank you. And our next uh, presenter is Sarah Kelly. And Ms. Kelly is an oncology social worker. She's coordinator of older adult services at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kelly is going to address navigating and managing the cost of treatment, resources for coping with MPN, finding someone to talk to about your concerns, and Cancer Care's free psychosocial services, including our support groups. Um, and it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. And Ms. Kelly is going to be also providing some resource information. Those of you who are live streaming will be able to see them as she's presenting it. And those of you who actually are listening on the telephone will be sending you all this resource information that um, Ms. Kelly and, uh, and Ms. Wolf presented. So you'll all have this information um, at your fingertips as well. Uh, so I now turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and I'd actually like to thank everyone on the call. I think it's been a great call today just in terms of hearing about how to navigate some of this. Um, so as Dr. Messner said, I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, and I'm really wanting to talk about the major concern or one of the major concerns for people with cancer, which is how am I going to pay for this? How can I pay for my care? We've been talking today about how cancer is an expensive illness and financial concerns are understandable, um, and they're a significant source of stress, and I think everyone on the call today has really talked about that. Uh, but I think that having an open conversation uh, about the cost of cancer really helps you be better informed about your financial options, and you may be able to reduce the financial impact of your illness, and my hope is that by reducing that, you'll also reduce some of the stress that comes along with that. So to start out with, I think the biggest thing with it is understanding your healthcare coverage. You want to understand what's covered. You want to understand your policy. I know Ms. Wolf spoke in depth about this, and I really can't stress how important it is. With your insurance policy, read it carefully to understand your benefits. Contact your health insurance provider with any questions. You know, you want to know what's the portion of the medical expenses I'm responsible for paying. Uh, are my doctors a part of this plan? That's big, too. Is my treatment center, my medical team, are they part of this plan? Will my care be covered if I am with them? Your insurance company also may be able to assign you a case manager to help. So you want to ask them about that. And I think that helps, too, just to have another person there who is knowledgeable who can help you navigate some of this. 
If you're not covered, talk to the treatment center or the hospital financial services department as soon as you can, also the local health department if you're not covered. You want to find out what benefits you may be eligible for and to apply to. Also recommend keeping a record or keeping a diary of your expenses and also of any communication about your finances. That's any letters you get from the treatment center or insurance company, emails, anything at all like that, even phone conversations. You want to make sure you note the date and you want to make sure you note what you're uh, talking about. And I think it's important. It helps you catch any billing errors, which is huge, but it also just helps you keep it organized so it feels less overwhelming and feels less stressful. So I definitely recommend doing that. And then talking to the healthcare team, and I know that Dr. Verstovic uh, really brought this up. It's so important. You have a team there. You have doctors there, nurses, social workers, also just the financial department of this uh, hospital treatment center, doctor's office. You're going to let them know what's happening for you. You know, I think healthcare providers don't always ask patients about their insurance coverage or their ability to pay out of pocket or for out of pocket expenses. And also, I think a lot of times patients uh, and family members don't always feel comfortable sharing that information with their provider. But it's really important to resolve the financial issues uh, because, as we've talked about, they increase your stress. But also, you want to make sure you're getting access to your needed treatment. So you want to talk to the medical team about this. I think that patients and providers can work together to really devise ways of reducing that cost without compromising your treatment plan. So you can connect with anyone on that team. You can connect with the patient financial services department, social worker, even patient advocates to help you navigate some of this. The other piece of it, don't ignore bills when they come in. And I, I say that because once a bill goes to collections, it's harder to resolve. If a bill comes in and you're looking at it and you're thinking, my goodness, how am I going to pay for this? Take that in to the medical team. Take it into the treatment center. Find out what you can do about this. Also call the insurance company. Now, all of this, I know, sounds like a tall order, and I know Ms. Wolf kept uh, saying this too. It's hard when you're not feeling well to look at all of this, try to figure out how to organize this, but there are some organizations and places aside from the treatment center that can help you or at least direct you to resources. So aside from the treatment center, where can you go? Where can you go to get this information? I'm going to start out with two organizations that are specific to MPN. And they should, you should have that contact information in your brochures, but I'm going to go over it also. The first one is the MPN Research Foundation. And to get in touch with them, you're just going to go to www.mpnresearchfoundation.org. And then the second one I want to direct you to is the MPN Education Foundation. And you can find them at www dot mpninfo.org. So those two organizations are specific to MPN. They are wonderful resources, and they really do have so much information. If you go onto the website, you'll see they've got a wealth of information on MPN, treatment, support, but also financial resources. So I recommend checking in with both of those. I also recommend checking in with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
So they offer assistance to patients with blood cancers. That does include uh, the myeloproliferative neoplasm. So you definitely want to check in with them too. They have some financial aid for patients in active treatment, copay assistance. They also have education programs and support programs. You can find them online at www.lls.org. You can also call them and talk to a person at 1-800-955-4572. So those are three I definitely recommend checking in with. I also recommend calling some cancer organizations. Us, you can absolutely call Cancer Care. We're here to help you figure out some of these resources the American Cancer Society, and I'm also going to mention the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition. Um, Dr. Messner stated earlier, many of these resources are in your brochures. You will get these numbers also as we're going through them and uh, website addresses. The organizations that I just mentioned, that's us, American Cancer Society, Cancer Financial Assistance Coalitions, have state-by-state resource databases. Uh, We can help you find both local and national resources. Uh, As I mentioned, at Cancer Care, our social workers will help you find those resources. And we also provide some financial assistance, so know that. And then with the American Cancer Society, they've got a great center there um, where they can help you also navigate it, and they've got patient navigators there to help you. I'm going to briefly mention the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition because I realize not everyone's heard of it, and I think it's a great resource. Basically, it's a group of organizations, including Cancer Care, who came together to create a pretty user-friendly database, online database of resources. You go to the website, you put in the zip code and the diagnosis, and it will pull up both local and national resources. So I'm going to just give you that website, and then I'll also give you the information on American Cancer Society. So the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition website is www.cancer fac.org. So that's that website, and you should also be getting this information currently. And then the American Cancer Society, many of you have probably been in touch with them. Um, You can reach them online at cancer.org, and you can call them also and talk to someone over there at 1-800-227-2345. And then I'm going to go a little bit more just in terms of direct Patient assistance programs, actually before I do that, let me mention one other, which is the Patient Advocate Foundation. Their main goal is to make sure that patients and the support networks are able to remain financially stable while going through treatment. That's, that's what they do. They have case management advocacy services to help you with financial concerns. You can reach them online at www.patientadvocate.org. And then you can also call them at 1-800-532-5274. So that's another resource specific um, to finances that, uh, that you can check in with. And then patient assistance programs, I'm very, very briefly going to talk about that. So we already mentioned the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society as a resource for information and financial assistance. They also have copay programs for patients who are diagnosed with MPN. And then there's also the Patient Access Network. And the Patient Access Network currently has copay assistance for MPN as well, and I'm going to give you that information now. Their web address is www.panfoundation.com. 
www.thepeacefulpeoples.org. And then you can reach them by phone and actually talk to someone at 1-866-316-7263. So that's for the Patient Access Network and their copay assistance program. And then I also want to mention the Chronic Disease Fund. They are another organization that provides financial assistance. Currently, though, I'll let you know they're only providing assistance or have assistance available for myelofibrosis, so I do want to uh, stress that. You can reach them at www.cdfund.org, and then you can also call them on the phone at 877-968-7233. So many of these organizations, you may already have them in your packets and brochures that you have there. Also, the information should be delivered to you currently as we're speaking. If not, if you have questions or you've missed a number or a web address to go to, just call us at Cancer Care, and that's 1-800-813-HOPE. That's our HOPE line, 1-800-813-4673. So just in conclusion in terms of the financial assistance and how to manage and navigate some of it, you want to get informed, you want to speak up, and you want to get organized with it. I'm going to shift gears a little bit now and talk about another important resource you'll need on your journey, which is support. Creating a support network is an important part of your care, and I want to talk about how cancer care can be part of that network. So just a little bit about who we are and what we do. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face in the New York area. We also do it over the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we provide face-to-face in New York and over the phone nationally, and actually online nationally and internationally. We have education programs like the one we're on today. We provide you with practical help and also can help you navigate some of this. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have some limited financial assistance. All our services are provided by licensed, master's-level oncology social workers, and they are completely free of charge. And oncology social workers really are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends, really the, the whole support network. We're trained to help uh, cancer patients and their families tackle the problems, the issues that accompany the disease. So today we've been talking about the financial concerns and financial demands. We also can help you with physical changes that have taken place due to diagnosis and treatment, social adjustment, the psychological impact of this, and also just your overall care. And I really think that adjusting to and finding ways of coping with the diagnosis and really with every aspect of the diagnosis is an important part of the healing process, and I actually consider it to be part of treatment. So as many of you know, cancer affects the whole person and the entire support network, as I mentioned a moment ago. I really cannot stress to you enough, and I'd like for you to take this home, is that you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to walk the path alone. We're here for you. Joining a support group, contacting a social worker, it really is a sign of strength in this. With a support group, you're able to connect to others who are going through a similar situation or having similar problems. And then with the individual counseling, you really have a space that's just yours to voice any concerns or any issues that are coming up for you. And I think these connections help lessen the isolation that often comes with being diagnosed with this. 
feeling well emotionally helps you better deal with the diagnosis and treatment. At this time, we are offering an online support group for people who are diagnosed with blood cancers. So I did want to stress that and let you know that. We also have a general patient telephone group, a caregiver telephone group, and then also a general patient group face-to-face in the New York area as well as a caregiver group face-to-face in the New York area. And then, of course, we provide the individual counseling both face-to-face in the New York area and on the phone. If you're interested in any of these services or even if you just want to know a little bit more, please call us. I mentioned the number to our Hope Line um, before, but I'm going to repeat it. It's 1-800-813-4673 or 1-800-813-HOPE. I also recommend visiting our website, which is www.cancercare.org. Our website is very comprehensive, and you'll find a lot of information on there, not only on the support programs, but actually on all the programs, like the program we're on today. We also have really good information just on treatment, diagnosis, and coping as you're going through this. So, you know, I think we've learned a lot from today's program. There's a lot of information for us to digest and get our arms around. Know that we're here to help you do that. If you have any questions about today's call, any concerns, or really anything else coming up, please call us or contact us. We're here to help you through some of this. And again, remember you're not alone in this. Cancer Care Services really are here to help you. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that was really excellent, Sarah. That was really outstanding. And uh, lots of resources for everybody, so um, I really, um, really can't thank you enough. And now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions, and if we don't get your question, um, then I want you to go ahead and call Cancer Care, and we'll repeat that number at the end of the call. Um, so um, I have a question for one of our online participants. Well, actually, I better let actually... Um, Kate, explain to you how to cure for questions. Some of you have already been putting questions online already, but Kate, if you could explain to everybody how to cure for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. So we have a question from Jenny um, on our from um, on one of our who's posted a question on uh, for us. I'm a 35 year old female per- person who has lost my employer sponsored life insurance. From what I know, most cancer patients are unable to get a life insurance policy. Is this the same for MPN patients? Um, um, Ms. Wolf, are you able to address this in a general way in terms of life insurance and employer, losing employer-sponsored life insurance and if one's able to sure. have a policy? Sure. So two things I want to mention. Um, with respect to employer-sponsored insurance, most states do have a law that allows somebody who's leaving their job for any reason to convert their insurance from a group policy to an individual policy. So make sure to check your state laws. Um, You do have to pay the premium once you convert to an individual policy, but it's a really important law for for people to to know because life insurance can be so important. It allows many people to keep their policy. Second is that there are guaranteed issue life insurance policies out there. You can search on the computer. It varies state to state. But these policies are 
They're limited in the amount, usually up to $10,000, but there's no medical questions asked. Um, they may have higher premiums, but for somebody who feels that life insurance is imperative, there may be options out there. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have um, another recommendation from one of our um, participants um, of another resource um, called the MPN Advocacy and Education International as a resource. Um, and their website is mpnadvocacy.com. And we'll be sending that information to all of you as well um, so that you'll have that additional resource as well. Um, we also have a question from one of our online participants. Um, uh, what should I take into consideration before participating in an MPN clinical trial? There's a lot of information about this on the Internet. I don't know what to trust. I'm going to ask if Dr. Messa could address this question. Well, it's an important question. You know, the participation in clinical trials is, is a complex but a good resource for patients with MPNs. So they, they all seek clinical trials, in the essence, are a way to receive a treatment in a way that we can be scientifically study it to see its impact, uh, to see whether it's a therapy that should be broadly used, whether that's broader use of a medicine that is available or approval by the FDA of a new medicine that is not yet available. They all have very specific uh, patients in which they seek to help, uh, and they also have very specific situations in which when they are helpful and when uh, they're for a slightly different group of patients. So it's an important uh, resource and one to kind of discuss with your doctor not necessarily about a specific trial, but sometimes to ask them whether they view that a trial might be a, a, uh, an option for you. There are times that patients will visit one of the, you know, let's say 15 to 20, 25 centers across the U.S. that really have a focus in MPNs, uh, and sometimes we'll see as part of those visits whether or not clinical trials are a helpful resource. Excellent. Thank you. And um, our next question, um, uh, Kate? I'm showing we have a question from the line of Alita E. Your line is open. Okay. Uh, I was initially diagnosed with EP. I'm still an EP patient. Uh, with hydroxyurea, uh, the platelets and the WBC count are now almost normal range, the higher normal range. But my problem now is a very low RBC. So what happens? What will be my diagnosis now? Because I'm feeling dizzy with a very low RBC, which was initially, of course, normal before taking the drug. Okay, thank you for that excellent question. I'm wondering um, if Dr. Vistovzak, if you could address that question in a general way, and then we, of course, encourage you to go back to your treating healthcare team, but if you could give some general guidelines around this, Dr. Um, Vistovzak. Yes, thank you. Now, uh, the therapies that we prescribe to patients with malopreventive neoplasms are provided to decrease uh, risks uh, of, uh, in particularly ET or PV, of a thrombosis, uh, sometimes even of a bleeding if the platelets are way too high, a millions, and in myelofibrosis patients to help with the symptoms and signs of the disease. Uh, this would be general symptoms or spleen-related symptoms, anemia, and so on. 
The issue uh, with the therapies is that uh, we always balance the risks and benefits. We always would like to provide all the benefits and uh, no risk at all. It happens, however, with some therapies that there might be a, a decrease in blood cell count or there might be uh, a neuropathy or there might be a diarrhea that happens along the way. And sometimes uh, the patients, uh, in addition to having a good response, may have some of those other undesirable, uh, what we call side effects. Perhaps sometimes they are not of significance. Sometimes they are mild and people just continue to take the therapies for what uh, benefit they derive. Um, these issues of a change in a blood cell count and or other possible side effects that are not perhaps desirable uh, from the beginning is something to discuss with the doctors that are prescribing those medications. In general, it's not an issue of a, a change in a diagnosis. It's a, it's a management issue of providing medications to, that would provide a lot of benefit and no side effects. Excellent. Thank you. And we have our last question. One other question um, for Dr. Vestosek. I'm going to be moving across the country and will need to find a new MPN doctor. Are there any recommendations for finding a doctor who specializes in MPN? So That's could, uh, a very interesting question, and it's a, a common question in our practice because MPN uh, diseases are relatively rare, and people do move around um, and would like always to, of course, um, follow with the uh, focused physicians that are dedicated to MPN field. Uh, the field is small. The number of uh, doctors uh, that are focused a lot on MPN is limited, relatively speaking, uh, and sometimes it's not possible to uh, have a local doctor found in a place where you move that uh, is uh, uh, such an expert uh, uh, that would you like to have. Um, this uh, is something to discuss with the doctors that uh, you live uh, in place, that uh, they may help identify a doctor in a new place where you go or through those resources that were mentioned, uh, the uh, Educational Research MPN Foundations, the two or three of them that were mentioned, uh, they may help connect uh, uh, you with, uh, with the proper doctors in the new cities. Thank you. Um, and um, well, we actually have one more question. Um, will my insurance pay for a second opinion or treatment? I'm going to ask um, Ms. Wolf if you would address that. Yeah, I, I mean, generally, yes, most insurance companies do pay for a second opinion um, with respect to treatment. Um, again, you know, as long as it's medically necessary treatment, then your insurance company should certainly pay for um, any treatment costs. And uh, one other question, actually, or uh, kind of a, c a continuation of the question about moving. I wonder if um, Ms. Kelly would just want to comment on just um, probably in some of our groups and things people move and just other things that people consider when they're moving um, across country or to other locations, just uh, things that people often have to get in place or help that they might want to seek out. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that just in terms of finding the doctor, of course, you want to talk to your current doctor, you want to see, um, you know, who do they know? Who can they refer you to? Who are the experts in the new area you're moving to? You want to make sure that everything, and usually this happens flawlessly, but you want to make sure that that care is transferred in a, an organized way. And that so the new treatment center has all of the information that the old treatment center has, conversations have been had, those types of things. 
so that the care is set up. And then you want to do some of the things that you've already done, hopefully at the treatment center that you were at before that you're currently at. So you want to go ahead and, of course, make the initial appointments with the doctors, but you want to ask the questions that are important to you that you feel like you need to know from the doctors about the treatment, about the doctor's experience. You want to find out who can you talk to in that office if emergencies come up, you know, those general things that hopefully you're doing at the treatment center you're at now or the one you were at previously. You want to continue that once you move. And then, of course, I mean, just moving in and of itself, it's stressful, and then moving and having to organize medical care is a whole other ballgame. So you want to make sure that with this, you're reaching out to as many supports as you can if things are coming up with the move, things you never even thought of, expenses, um, you know, even just the logistics of moving, see who in your support network can help you. If you need to reach outside of your support network, you know, even if you're not quite sure what you might need, call other organizations, call us, um, Cancer Care, call the American Cancer Society, you know, reach out to some other organizations to also help you and assist you in it. Thank you very much. I want to actually thank all of our speakers. <clears throat> our speakers have been extraordinary today. I have to say this is, and this represents for all of you really the multidisciplinary team. <clears throat> we have on this call oncologists, hematologist oncologists. We have um, a lawyer on the call, an oncology social worker, um, really many members of the healthcare team. And in all of your settings, these people are available to you to help you. Um, as we're about to conclude the call, I don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping with MPN, with coping with cancer in general. I want you to know that you're part of a of Cancer Cares now, a community of support, and we're to help you. And we actually have another program coming up on November 19th. It's called The Role of Exercise, Meditation, and Nutrition for People Coping with MPN. It'd be very, many of you have signed up for this already, but if you haven't, I definitely recommend that you do. It's a wonderful program. And I also want to reiterate what Ms. Kelly said, that we don't want anyone to leave this call thinking that you're alone. We're here for you. We're simply a telephone call away at 1-800-813-HOPE. Or for those of you internationally who wish to visit our website or contact us on our website at www.cancercare.org. Again, I want to thank you all for your really amazing participation today, um, your wonderful questions and also you're giving us some additional resources, and also for those of you who have been listening, really, and um, we hope that um, you'll be in touch with us over other needs that you may have um, that we can assist with. Remember, all the services at Cancer Care are free. Again, thank you all, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may disconnect. Have a wonderful day.